welcome to the May 8th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, an attorney with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. The California Interpreters Association lost their bid in the Court of Appeal to have portions of SB 1160 declared unconstitutional. The case was filed pursuant to California Labor Code Section 5955, challenging the declaration under penalty of perjury provisions of the new lien law. Under the new Labor Code, all medical treatment and medical legal lien claimants must file a declaration under penalty of perjury that the claimant satisfies at least one of seven new lien claimant requirements. The lawsuit challenged the seventh which required that the interpreter declare that they rendered services during a medical legal examination or has an expense allowed as a lien under rules adopted by the administrative director. The interpreters argued that they do not neatly fit into any of the seven categories and that Section G, the only one that mentions interpreters, is limited to interpretations during medical legal events, but nothing is said about interpreting during treatment events. This, they say, will limit thousands of lien claimants from collecting liens since they cannot sign the declaration without the risk of filing a false declaration. The Court of Appeal denied the petition in a terse docket entry that essentially concluded the case was premature since it assumed events in the future that had not yet happened at the WCAB. The denial said that they have not demonstrated that the ordinary lien claims processes does not provide an adequate remedy at law. Moreover, the petitioners have not shown they will suffer irreparable harm absent immediate writ of review. The court went on to protest that they have yet to present any specific lien claim to the agency for adjudication and therefore the possible disposition of such claims is a matter of conjecture. Because their claims depend at least in substantial part on speculative future events, they are not appropriate for immediate judicial resolution. Thus the court declined to issue the requested writ of review. It remains to be seen if this was the Interpreters Association's final or the first in a series of efforts to pursue this theory in response to SB 1160. The United States Court of Appeals blocked health insurer Anthem's bid to merge with Cigna, upholding a lower court's decision that the $54 billion deal should not be allowed because it would lead to higher prices for health care. The ruling will probably kill the proposed merger, which was opposed by the U.S. Justice Department, 11 states, and a district court judge after consumers, medical professionals, and others objected to it. In the end, Cigna itself tried to back out of the deal. Still, Anthem and Cigna have the option of asking the appeals court to reconsider the case or appealing straight to the U.S. Supreme Court. Anthem's purchase of Cigna would have created the largest U.S. health insurer. Rivals Aetna and Humana had also sought to merge, but that deal collapsed this year amid opposition from the federal government and many states. Anthem said in a statement that it was disappointed by the appeals court decision and is evaluating its options. In a split decision, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit disagreed with Anthem's contention 
that the Justice Department and lower court improperly rejected its assertions that the deal would lead to billions of dollars in medical savings. But Judith, Judith, Judge Judith Rogers wrote in the opinion that Ansem has not explained why these projected savings would even exist. She continued to say that the record is clear that Anthem, unlike Cigna, has already achieved whatever economies of scale are available. In a dissenting opinion, Judge Brett Kavanaugh argued that the merger would benefit the biggest customers, mainly large companies with employees in many states. Kavanaugh argued that a combined Anthem-Cigna would require higher payments to manage the accounts, but that would be offset by better negotiated rates paid to providers. Kavanaugh, however, noted that the deal could be stopped based on monopsony arguments that the new company would have too much heft in negotiating with doctors and hospitals. A monopsony is a market situation in which there is only one buyer. The California Insurance Commissioner applauded the ruling, calling it a significant win for consumers who need more choice, not less. In another obstacle, Anthem and Cigna have been at loggerheads for months and are now suing each other. Cigna has sought to abandon the merger and force Anthem to pay $1.85 billion breakup fee, while Anthem filed a lawsuit to force its smaller rival to go through with the combination. Walgreens has paid nearly $10 million to resolve allegations that it violated the Federal False Claims Act when it knowingly submitted claims for reimbursement to California's Medi-Cal program that were not supported by applicable diagnoses and documentation requirements. Walgreens is one of the largest drugstore chains in the United States, operating approximately 630 stores in California. Medi-Cal uses a formulary list commonly known as Code 1 drugs, which designates certain restrictions for each listed drug, including restrictions pertaining to diagnoses. Medi-Cal will reimburse certain Code 1 drugs only for approved diagnoses, taking into account criteria such as the drug's safety, efficacy, misuse potential, and cost. Pharmacies serve the critical gatekeeping function of confirming and certifying that these Code 1 drugs are dispensed for the approved diagnoses. Walgreens may bill for drugs prescribed outside of the approved diagnoses, but it must submit a request that includes a justification for the non-approved use. This settlement resolves allegations that Walgreens fail to confirm and document the requisite diagnoses and, in some instances, dispensed drugs for non-approved diagnoses, then knowingly billed Medi-Cal for these prescriptions. The allegations were first raised in two lawsuits filed against Walgreens under the key Tom or whistleblower provisions of the False Claims Act by a former Walgreens pharmacist and a former pharmacy technician. The act allows private citizens with knowledge of fraud to bring civil actions on behalf of the government and to share in any recovery. These two whistleblowers will collectively receive about $2.3 million of the recovery proceeds. <clears throat> Quest Diagnostics has agreed to pay $6 million to resolve a lawsuit alleging that Berkeley Heart Lab Incorporated of Alameda, California, paid kickbacks to physicians and patients to induce the use of its blood 
testing services and for charging for medically unnecessary tests. Quest acquired Berkeley in 2011 and ended the conduct that gave rise to the settlement. Physicians refer their patients to independent laboratories like Berkeley to conduct tests on blood samples. According to the government's complaint, Berkeley paid kickbacks to referring physicians disguised as processing and handling fees. The complaint also alleged that Berkeley paid kickbacks to patients by routinely waiving co-payments owed by certain patients who were legally required to pay part of their tests. Berkeley allegedly paid the kickbacks to induce both the physicians and patients who received them to choose Berkeley over other laboratories. The government's complaint further alleged that these illegal practices resulted in medically unnecessary cardiovascular tests being charged to federal health care programs. The anti-kickback statute prohibits offering, paying, soliciting, or receiving remuneration to induce referrals of items or services covered by federally funded programs. The anti-kickback statute is intended to ensure that a physician's medical judgment is not compromised by improper financial incentives and is instead based on the best interests of the patient. The anti-kickback statute also prohibits routinely waiving patient co-payments to ensure that patients are appropriately incentivized to refuse unnecessary tests. The lawsuit was initially filed by Dr. Michael Mays under the key timer whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Act. The United States partially intervened in this and two related actions in March 2015 and is continuing to pursue claims against the remaining defendants. In 2015, the United States announced settlements with two other laboratories, Health Diagnostics Laboratory of Richmond, Virginia, and Singulex of Alameda, California, for engaging in similar conduct. And now our crime report. San Mateo County prosecutors charged a Pleasanton man with insurance fraud in connection with a medical clinic he allegedly did not own legally. 47-year-old Matthew Skinner is accused of owning Pacific Occupational Health Clinic in South San Francisco, which is now closed. Prosecutors said he was not allowed to own the clinic because he is not a doctor and doctors are required to own at least 51% of a medical practice. Prosecutors said the law exists so laypersons are not supervising and influencing the care of doctors. Skinner's attorney released a statement asserting innocence, stating that his client took great pride in the excellent service that his clients' clinics provided, and he was always committed to patient health. Skinner allegedly holds no medical license, and his mother, Paula Skinner, allegedly holds only a physical therapist license. People who have a medical license considered lower than a doctor can own only up to 49% of a medical practice. Pacific Occupational Health Clinic, which handled workers' compensation claims, allegedly illegally employed doctors, according to prosecutors. Also, Skinner allegedly took x-rays of patients occasionally, and he was not licensed to do this and allegedly gave instructions to doctors to maximize profits. Five insurance companies were alleged victims in the scheme and were billed over $15 million by the clinic. Skinner hadn't been in jail on nearly $12 million bail, but on Monday his bail was reduced to $3 million.
A former resident of Aliso Viejo has been found guilty of 15 counts of health care fraud for submitting bills to insurance companies that sought millions of dollars in reimbursement for tests and services that were never performed. 40-year-old Michael Mirando, who currently resides in Portland, Oregon, was found guilty by a federal jury that needed to deliberate for less than a half an hour to reach its verdict after a week-long trial. Mirando was an owner of Holter Labs, which provided cardiac monitoring services using an ambulatory electrocardiography device known as a Holter monitor. The evidence showed that Mirando engaged in a fraud scheme which he was responsible for submission of millions of dollars in claims for services that were never performed. Holter Labs provided the Holter monitor to physicians who prescribed the devices to patients to monitor their heart rates for one or two days. Miranda then billed the patient's insurance companies for the prescribed tests, but he also submitted bills for services never ordered, such as 30-day tests, and for services the device could not perform, such as brain scans and oxygen studies. Miranda submitted tens of thousands of claims to dozens of private health insurance companies that sought approximately $10 million, which included $7 million for services never performed and another $1 million for duplicate dates of services. He has been free on bond since he was charged in this case last year, but was remanded into custody on the first day of his trial after having contact with potential jurors in the case. After learning that Mirando spoke with two potential jurors outside of the courtroom, the judge revoked his bond after finding that he engaged in jury tampering and had attempted to obstruct justice. Mirando is scheduled to be sentenced on August 21, at which time he will face a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison for each of the 15 counts of health care fraud. This case was investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. 61-year-old Jamie Del Rio and 36-year-old Israel Del Rio, both of Salinas, each pled guilty to three counts of workers' compensation, employers' fraud. The defendants, a father and son, doing business as Del Rio Produce Packing, worked as farm labor contractors to pick and pack lettuce for growers in Monterey County and Yuma, Arizona. They concealed injuries to workers by not reporting the injury, not providing the workers with their entitled benefits that included medical treatment. The defendants committed insurance fraud by making at least 20 material misrepresentations for the purpose of obtaining a reduced insurance premium from the state compensation insurance fund. During the course of the investigation, it was also discovered that the defendants had conspired to commit premium fraud also against the Travelers Insurance Company in the same manner. The defendants did not accurately report all the employees' wages to the EDD in order to invade paying payroll taxes. Each of the insurance fraud charges have a maximum penalty of five years and a fine of up to double the amount of the fraud. And failing to file payroll tax returns with the intent to evade tax has a maximum penalty of three years and up to $20,000 fine. Sentencing in this case is scheduled this August. It is anticipated that the defendants will be placed on a 10-year probationary term that could initially include up to a year in county jail. 
and the restitution is estimated at over $400,000 for the state compensation insurance fund and the traveler's insurance company. This case was investigated by the California Department of Insurance. A Rialto man was arraigned last week at the San Bernardino Justice Center on charges of contracting without a valid contractor's license and operating a contracting business without workers' compensation insurance. 71-year-old Samuela Tupola of Rialto is charged with two misdemeanor counts and he pled not guilty to both counts at his arraignment. In March, senior investigators from the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office arrested Tupola for the offenses. If convicted as charged, Tupola must serve at least 90 days in jail and pay fines and fees over $15,000. And in regulatory news, the Division of Workers' Compensation has posted the second interim status report on its effort to promulgate regulations for an evidence-based workers' compensation drug formulary as required by Assembly Bill 1124. The goal is to adopt the drug formulary by this July 1st. The DWC contracted with the RAND Corporation to conduct research and provide consultation on the design, implementation, and economic impact of the formulary and related policies and RAND issued an August 2016 report which analyzed the various formularies used by other states and organizations, and it explained the benefits and disadvantages of each approach and the potential applicability to California workers' compensation. The RAND report indicated that the formulary should be consistent with the MTUS guidelines. The report noted that the methods used to develop the ACOM guidelines are rigorous, transparent, and evidence-based. The DWC decided to proceed with using the ACOM guidelines for the formulary to maintain consistency with the DWC's MTUS, which is also primarily based on the ACOM guidelines. Public meetings were held in 2015 and 2016, giving stakeholders an opportunity to provide input on the development of the formulary and the implementation of AB 1124. The DWC posted draft formulary regulations on the DWC forum webpage on last August, together with the RAND formulary report and proposed ACOM guidelines for public review and discussion. These postings permitted all interested stakeholders to provide further input on the formulary development. The formal rulemaking process began in March with the publication of the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking. The DWC has also provided updates and received public comments at the Commission on Health and Safety and Workers' Compensation meetings. The DWC accepted additional oral testimony and written comments on the proposed formulary regulations at a public hearing on May 1st, and it will review all comments received to determine if changes are warranted and if so, it will issue a revised proposal for a 15-day comment period. Upon completion of the rulemaking action, the regulations will be submitted to the Office of Administrative Law for approval and filing with the Secretary of State. And in medical news, a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association says 
that policies that limit or regulate interactions between doctors and pharmaceutical company representatives may affect what drugs are prescribed to patients. Researchers found that drugs promoted by pharmaceutical representatives, known as detailed drugs, <clears throat> lost market share after hospitals enacted such policies, while drugs that were not detailed gained market share. The study's lead author said the findings suggest institutions and organizations can play a role in relationships between doctors and the drug industry. In an issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association devoted to conflicts of interest, researchers from the UCLA Anderson School of Medi Management pointed out that since the start of the 21st century, industry and academic institutions have adopted policies to regulate doctor interactions with drug representatives. Researchers examining the effect of those policies typically looked at only one medical specialty and produced mixed results. For the new study, <clears throat> the researchers examined several sets of data collected from academic medical centers in California, Illinois, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and New York. Overall, the researchers had data on more than 15 million prescriptions written by over 2,000 doctors at 19 medical centers. <clears throat> All of the medical centers had adopted policies that restrict interactions between doctors and drug representatives. All of the drugs had at least 2,000 assigned pharmaceutical company salespeople during the study period, and the researchers found 87 of the 262 drugs were detailed during the study period. The reduction in market share for detailed drugs from before and after the policies were adopted represents about a 9% difference. Centers that were most likely to see a change were those that regulated gifts to doctors, restricted drug representatives' access to the facility, and enforced the policies. The UCLA researchers concluded that the million-dollar question is whether drug detailing and their restrictions are affecting patient outcomes. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Karen, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news. Thank you.